Good morning, everyone. As you know, uh, Pastor Kevin asked me to preach while he is on vacation, finishing his vacation this week. Normally, I'm allowed to choose my own topic. This week, he asked me to um, continue with the series, God's Plan for God's People. I'm honored to do so in this. The text he assigned was Psalm 67, the one that uh, Andy just read. It's short. I mean, you read this and you almost think, okay, that's it. It's good. You know, God asked us to bless him and everything, and that's it. But I want to look at the concept of blessing. What does blessing mean? Actually, I want to ask two questions. Number one, what does blessing mean? And number two, what is its purpose? I, need, I think we need to look through this as Christians and to understand it if we are going to do what God wants us to do in the world. A couple of years ago, I think it's been about two and a half years now, something like that, Patty decided to look for a dog. And I agreed and let her do the looking and everything. It was her idea, so I wanted her to be able to pick the dog. So not long after that, she uh, found a dog from Arkansas on the Internet, Beagle Bassett Mix, went through the paperwork, paid the fees and everything, and the... uh, um, kennel that was running this happened to have a run that they did, and I always think of this as kind of an underground railroad for dogs. Um, but they ran from Arkansas all the way up to New York, and one of the stops was in Lodi. So she says, great, no problem. So in January of uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was, Patty went out to meet the people at Lodi, pick up the dog, and I, I was at work that night. She came by and introduced me to our new dog, Byron, or as she said, Lord Byron, uh, the regal beagle. <laughs> and it has been a great relationship. Um, in fact, we were talking the other day, and Patty made the point, and I, she's right on this too, she made the point that Byron has been the most relational dog that either one of us has ever had. I mean, he is fixed on being together with us. He doesn't just hang around like dogs often do. He's got to be there with us and do what we do. And there's, he, he's even developed this routine around our routine. So when I get up for work in the morning, about five minutes later, I hear him shaking himself off, and he's outside the bathroom door waiting for me. And when I get out of the bathroom... He lets me take him on his first walk. And then when we get back, he gets breakfast. Then when I get my breakfast, he joins me in the study and shares my breakfast. When I get home from work, he goes for another walk. And then around 5 o'clock, he gets supper. And then in the evening, he gets his third walk. And sometimes he manages to stick in a fourth if I've got the day off. And then finally in the evening, he sits down with us at the couch while we relax in the evening, and he loves to cuddle. He loves to sit between the two of us, and he makes sure that both of our hands are on him. We've both got to give him comfort. Byron lives in his own world. He's a dog, after all. We don't expect more of that. But his world exists in relationship to us, And because of that, Byron has brought incredible happiness into our lives. We love this dog. 
and he is so much fun to have around. When we look at the idea of blessing, I want to go into that concept that we are in a relationship with God and there's something in some place that that relationship goes and I want us to understand that. And this is the purpose of Psalm 67, to show both the meaning and the purpose for blessing. The psalm begins, I just want to read the first verse here, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. There is a comma there, but there's the word selah after that. We believe that selah means pause and think about this for a minute. So even in the middle of the sentence, there's a pause here. So I want to look at this and say, okay, what exactly is God talking about? What does it mean for blessing? Well, Psalm 67 is going back to a more foundational scripture, and that is out of Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers chapter 6, in verses 22 to 27, and this is a little standalone piece of scripture. There are two unrelated things on either side of it, so that it stands by itself. Here's what the text reads out of Numbers. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, and then we have this well-known part of uh, or, uh, pronouncement of blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name on all the people and I will bless them. This is a blessing that was made for the people and the nation of Israel, old God's Old Testament covenant people. I want us to be aware of that because when we go to the psalm, it goes outside God's covenant people into the world in very deliberate ways. But for now, we're looking at God's relationship to his covenant people. And I want to look at the meaning of blessing out of numbers because the psalm, in just naming those, two, or just reading those two lines, grabs the essence of everything that is in the numbers passage. Here's the context for the numbers passage. Two years before this command was given, God had taken his people, Israel, and delivered them out of the Egyptian bondage, out of Egyptian slavery had taken them out of, the, of Egypt into the wilderness with the intent to bring them to the land that he had promised generations before to Abraham. It was a covenant promise. It was something that was carved in stone for God. God is going to do this, and now he's preparing his work. And he has taken his redeemed people now, rescued them from Egypt, destroyed the Egyptian armies in the Red Sea, and he brings now this pronouncement of blessing. Blessing, when we read that word, grows out of God's plan to save. It is God directing his favor toward us. 
I mean, we use the term blessing all the time. You know, bless the time, bless the food, uh, you know, bless us in this, bless us in that. Usually when we use the word, I think without thinking about it, we kind of have a self-centered sense of blessing. But blessing is much deeper than just a one-way running of goodness from God's grace down to us. And Aaron's blessing expands on that and shows us what it is. Keeping is the next thing he says. It's an extension of blessing. And it points to God's preservation. Making his face to shine upon us points to intimacy. That is, God is establishing a relationship with us. Similar to what Patty and I have with our relationship with our dog, Byron. God wants to do with us only on a so much deeper level. Partly because it's conscious both ways. Byron only gets the downward part. We as Christians and we as God's people, regardless of what testament we live in, are to understand God's relationship as a dual relationship. He delights in us just as much as we delight in him. And it ought to be that way. Have you ever felt those times or witnessed those times when God just felt like he was next to you? They are such great times. They can occur in events as simple as morning devotions when you're sitting there reading your Bible and all of a sudden the scripture that you've read a hundred times before pops out at you and you see something that you've never seen and you just sit there in awe and you think, wow, isn't God great? Or it can occur when believers meet for the first time and there's an immediate connection between them because we worship the same God and we fellowship with the same God and though we've never seen each other before we may never see each other again in this lifetime there's that deep connection there and we feel it and we 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 love it and we rejoice in it God's intimacy when he makes our face to shine upon us even occurs and sometimes especially occurs I think in times of grief Because when we are faced with grief, we are in a place where nothing else will do but God's presence. And those who have had to endure grief have learned better than anybody else how deeply God can connect with us when we are broken. That's the intimacy of blessing. It is double, it is two-way intimacy. If God, when God is being gracious to us, it refers to his deep delight to grant us compassion that we do not deserve. It's just grace. I can't say just grace because there's no limit to grace. When God lifts our countenance upon us, he looks on us with favor we can, be, we can feel free to come into his presence without being afraid. And finally, Aaron says, God gives us peace. 
Peace is not about finding our inner chi or hoping that today we'll be free from unpleasant surprises. The peace that God gives is the settledness that comes when we realize that God is ultimately in control of his creation. Peace is the recognition that even though the world may be falling apart around us, God is greater than any circumstance or any worry that we might encounter. All of these descriptions, we can come up on to the uh, uh, note thing now. All of these descriptions point to God's presence in our lives. Blessing is not what we receive from God. It is part of what we receive from God. I mean, it's partly that. But fundamentally, blessing is God's presence within us. It is his life intertwined with ours. That is the meaning of God's blessing. That is what the psalm begins with in the first verse. And in the rest of the psalm, takes up God's purpose for his blessing. And in this next part of the psalm, there are three distinct little stanzas in the psalm, and they point to three purposes for God's blessing. Number one, in verses three, I'm going to read these three verses again. One of the purposes for God's blessing is to elicit praise from the Gentiles for God's salvation. Now remember, we're in Old Testament times here. We're in Old Testament, the Old Testament period when God dealt with covenant Israel, his people. And here is an unknown Israelite writing about blessing that goes out to the nations, which, was, which has always been God's purpose. We read the text, may God be gracious to us. And bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why do we call on God to bless us? It's not just for Israel, but it's for the entire world population, that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among the nations. Two things are important in this verse. One is God's way. It's not just here's what you do and you go on your journey and I'm not going to worry about it until you get there. When we talk about a way, there is both a journey and there is both the process in the journey along with the destination. Several years ago, I finally broke down and got a cell phone, and my family thanked me for that very much. But um, I kept my dinosaur phone for a long time. I think it was until a couple of months ago when it finally died and I couldn't charge it anymore, and I had to buy a new one. But I did have GPS coordinates on it. And I started to use that and really liked it. Because it would show me, you know, we'd 
plug in a destination and start to drive and everything, and it would show me how to get there and tell me which way to turn and, you know, in 500 feet turn on this street and everything like that. But my destination only gave me that one dimension of it. Patty introduced me later to Waze, which is spelled W-A-Z-E if you're not familiar with it. It's a more of an interactive destination GPS finder, and it not only gives you where to go, but it also lets you understand what obstacles may be lurking on the way. If there's a piece of debris in the highway, people call things in, and it, it weighs, figures that in and announces it to you. There's a debris on the road a mile up. Or if you're cruising down the road at 80 miles an hour, Waze will warn you that there's a cop car standing at, you know, sitting at the side. Not that we cruise down the road at 80 miles an hour, though. But we have both those dimensions. The way along the way and the destination when we get there. The Bible gives us both of those. That your way may be known on the earth. That God watches over us and not only his people but the whole world. And brings them to their ultimate destination which is a knowledge in our terms of faith in Christ. The other purpose lies in verse 2, which is God's saving power among the nations. Why would God want his saving power to be known among the nations except that he wants them to know that he is a good God? And then finally, we come to God's ultimate purpose for this section in verse 3. That the peoples may praise him. God desires and wants praise from people around the world. A few years ago, the movie Shrek came out. It's a kind of a modern day fairy tale where things are turned on their heads so that the prince becomes the villain and in the end the ogre is the guy who ends up living happily ever after with his beloved. But one of the characters in there is this, if you've seen the movie, this little, and I mean very short guy named Lord Farquaad. And he craves above everything else the praise of his people. But he's got a little Napoleon complex. He's very, he's just a bossy guy, basically. He walks all over his people. He demands praise even when he knows that it's forced. He's just got to hear that adoration from his people, even if it's all fake. If we look at Lord Farquaad and we compare him to God, God also desires praise from his people, but God desires praise because he has earned the praise. He deserves the praise. He is all, in, he is all powerful, he is infinite, and he is altogether gracious. He alone, of all the beings in the creation, deserves praise. We come to the second purpose for, uh, for blessing 
in verses 4 and 5. And this is the joy among the peoples as they witness God's justice. One of the things that he does for us, one of the many things that he does for us. Let all nations be glad. <coughs> Excuse me, and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. And you guide the nations on the earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The second purpose for blessing is so that people can find joy in seeing God's justice fill the earth. Justice is a big thing right now if you're watching the news at all. And there are radically different understandings of what justice is. And I'm not going to go into the politics of all that. But in biblical terms, justice is the outward manifestation of God's presence. When justice reigns, joy becomes spontaneous. It's all over the Bible when you start to think about it. When justice reigns, peace can prevail in the earth. And of course, joy can become spontaneous through that. Now, we are called to have joy in all circumstances. But when justice reigns, it becomes a specially gracious circumstance. Verse 5 again tells us the ultimate purpose for God's blessing, that peoples may praise him. Just like verse 3, let, all the, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all, the nation, let all the peoples praise you. It is about praising God, bringing praise to God. God does not call us to praise because he is insecure and needs the adoration. He calls us to praise in part, not only because he deserves it, but also because he has created that need in us. Our existence is ordered by God's praise. One author writes this, exalting is a part of, of existence. It is not, it is so much a part of it that when one has ceased to exalt God, something else must be exalted. Then God can be displaced by a man, an institution, an idea. In other words, when we don't praise God, idolatry results because we have to praise something. The author continues, exalting remains a function of existence. World history demonstrates this. Man must exalt something, and without such exalting, there can apparently be no existence. That is absolutely true. We are created to praise. And when we cease to praise God, we find something else to take its place. And when we do praise God, we start to understand his intimacy. Finally, we come to verses 6 and 7, the fulfillment of the creation mandate. And these bring, our, bring us to the third, per, the third reason, third purpose for blessing. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. 
Part of the meaning of God's blessing comes from the fact that the earth provides the increase that it was supposed to do. It was created to do this. Pastor Kevin has gone through this a couple of different times in the creation mandate. He's created the earth for blessing. He's created the earth so that we can know God. Psalm 85, I think it was in our reading, had the same thing. The earth brings the increase. It's part of the created order. If we go to the conclusion of the creation mandate or the creation account in Genesis 1, the text reads, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The themes that Pastor Kevin has been talking about these past few weeks. The creation mandate then calls for productivity and the responsible use of his creation. Blessing and creation are bound together, and they are inextricably bound. They cannot be taken apart. Finally, we come to the third rendition of the ultimate purpose for God's blessing, and this is a little bit different wording now, that the people may fear him. This is not fear in cowering necessarily. It is fear of reverence. Fear of knowing who he is. I listened to a um, sermon one time by John Piper. It was actually the first time I'd ever heard him. First time I'd ever heard of him even. He was on Moody Radio and and Patty and I were just dating and I was heading over to uh, her sister's house for a family get-together our first, as a matter of fact, and John Piper happened to be on the radio for Thanksgiving, and it was such a great sermon, but Piper made the point about why God needs to be glorified above everything else and why God alone needs to be glorified. He says, if you go to the Grand Canyon and you, want, you look at the Grand Canyon, you stop thinking about yourself because the Grand Canyon and such grandeur dwarfs you. We are overtaken with the majesty of that scene before us. And he says, when we come before the Lord, that is what we are to be. We are to be be overtaken by his glory, by his majesty. So in the end, with Psalm 67, blessing, relationship, and world praise and fear all come together. Blessing then becomes a conscious engagement in God's relationship. We worship him. We understand why we worship him. We understand what we are doing when we worship him. And in turn, we willingly receive his blessings because he lives to bless us. And then we go out and share that relationship with the world. Let's close with prayer.